I recently had a chance to talk with Iris Fujiura, chapter lead of the Silicon Valley Golden Seeds. Golden Seeds is an angel investment network focused on funding female-run businesses. Prior to that, she was an engineer and later an executive, working on rockets and other launch systems. She provided some great insight into angel investor priorities, what separates successful pitches from those that just never get funding, and we talked about the particular challenges faced by female entrepreneurs. In addition to interviews like this, Feel the Boot provides tips and advice for early stage founders on our YouTube channel, as a blog at feeltheboot.com, and as a podcast available at any of the major podcast aggregators. Hi, Evers Fujira. Welcome to Feel the Boot. Well, thank you. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Now, I know you have a really interesting background, so before we get into sort of entrepreneurialism and angel investing, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I actually uh, came to angel investing fairly late in life. I spent a career in aerospace. Um, I graduated college as an engineer, and I started in 1983, I started at Vandenberg Air Force Base, California, as an instrumentation engineer for the Titan rocket launch team. And so I got to, from my very first job, I got to be part of a rocket launch team. And it was fun, amazing, hard work. It was, it was great. That sounds it was also, it was. I was also the very first woman engineer at, that was, located at the launch site, at the launch pad. Um, and I have to say that it was, it was great because I ended up with a bunch of male and mostly white male mentors who really looked out for me as a, as a young engineer. And I learned uh, uh, so much from people who were actually around in the early days of rocketry. That's great. I, I imagine I, you, you get a lot of the, uh, the, the, the rocket science, or as I like to say, you know, rocket surgeon. Oh, yeah. I get that. You know, it's not, it's not uh, rocket science. It's kind of like, well, you know, it's, rocket science isn't that hard anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I spent uh, over 30 years in, in aerospace, and I, uh, I actually worked on, on a joint venture with um, the Russians, uh, marketing and integrating commercial satellite launches on Russian proton rockets. So I spent some time in Baikonur, Kazakhstan, where the very first Sputnik was launched. Oh, neat. And uh, I retired um, in 2017 as a VP programs, and I was um, in charge of uh, some commercial satellite systems for the government, delivering to the government. Okay. I've done some work with the government. I always like those vague, for the government descriptions. <laughs> oh, I could I tell you about the, the satellite systems because they're, they're, they're uh, unclassified, but, and, and I'm pretty proud of them. Um, one of them, do you, did you ever watch a movie or read the book called Lone Survivor? It was about a, a SEAL team in Afghanistan where... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't know if you recall, but there's a point in time where they have to use an unsecure phone because they were unable to make link with their secure satellite phone. Mm. 
one of our systems that we were able to deliver to the Navy um, a few years ago, I'm going to say probably four or five years ago, uh, was called the Mobile User Objective System, and I was able to be part of that team and uh, be part of the, the final deliveries of that system. And, and that system is providing much better SATCOMs for, uh, for our military now. It's, it's super rewarding to have those kind of things where you're, you know you're having serious impact uh, for yeah. your, your customers and it really makes a difference. So how did you go from that to angel investing? So um, I retired in uh, 2017 and like most retired people, of course, I went, okay, I'm going to relax and I'm not going to do anything for a while. Um, and I was, I was really fairly occupied with just kind of de-stressing because it was a fairly stressful job that I had. But um, I had gone to MIT. I had taken a year off and gone to MIT and gotten my MBA in 2008, 2008, 2009, in a program called the Sloan Fellows um, Program for uh, Innovation and Global Leadership. And as part of that, then I became an MIT alum. And MIT, of course, is one of those things that all engineers think of as Mecca. So <laughs> <laughs> right. I was really happy to have been able to do that. Um, so through my MIT alum network, I got the invitation to attend a, an evening event about entrepreneurship, about angel investing. And it ended up being a, a joint presentation and um, networking and mentoring event with MIT and this organization called Golden Seeds. And it was, I met with uh, a number of young entrepreneurs from MIT and um, seasoned, entre uh, seasoned investors from Golden Seeds. And there was a lot of on-the-fly mentoring and discussions, and I thought, wow, this is a really neat thing to be able to do and to, uh, to keep my mind active and also to be able to make, continue to make an impact. Well, and you certainly dove in with, with both feet because now you've got uh, a significant role at Golden Seeds. Yeah, so I, I joined Golden Seeds in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> and they immediately tapped me up. It's a volunteer organization, so it's an a, a, angel groups are you know they're they're loosely affiliated organizations, and and so um, they immediately tapped me to become the deal flow lead, and I and I said, well, you know, I can I can probably do that as long as you know I have some mentoring and and such because I can do critical thinking if. Somebody comes along and they're presenting a, a case. I, I was used to doing critical thinking and also managing large sums of money as a program manager. So I, I felt like I had a pretty good handle on being able to evaluate where we we're going, although I didn't know the specifics of how smaller startup companies work. So I started out as deal flow lead, and then um, the then chapter lead said, you know, I only agreed to do this for a year. My husband's getting ready to retire, and I, I want to take some time off. And in, at the start of 2019, she said, well, I'm done. Who wants to be the lead? 
and we looked around at the leadership team and, and everybody else was like, not me. I, I've got, you know, I've got my, they, they're sitting on boards of directors and they're working on you know, boards and, and they're working on other things. They've got a lot of charities going on. And I said, well, you know, I can probably do this. I've got some time and I can take it on. And that's how I ended up becoming the chapter lead after only two years as an angel investor. That's fantastic. It, it is funny with volunteer organizations is that the way you get into leadership is failing to step backwards fast enough. <laughs> I didn't say it, but that's exactly what it was. <laughs> I, am, I am just ending my, my year as uh, president of Healdsburg Sunrise Rotary, so I'm extremely familiar with this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what what is Golden Seeds all about? Because I know you've got a focus. Oh yeah, and that's one of the reasons why I, I, I'm really happy about it and, and actually I, I love uh, doing what we're doing. So Golden Seeds uh, was formed 15 years ago when three women who worked in, I believe, Wall Street at the time in New York looked around and said, you know, it's amazing. At that time, I think maybe 23% of women were, uh, of new startups were being started by women, but only 2 to 3% were getting any sort of angel investment. And they looked around, they said, you know, one of the things that we're going to need to do is create an investor class that invests in women. And so 15 years ago, before everybody else got the word, uh, Golden Seed started with a focus on investing in women. And the whole idea is diversity adds to a better bottom line. When you get a lot of different ways of thinking, you always end up with a better bottom line. And now I think, you know, uh, the rest of corporate America is starting to understand that. I recall when I was in corporate America, we had that, that focus too. But 15 years ago, this organization, I think, was, if not the first, at least one of very, very few that were focused specifically in investing in women-led companies and educating investors, angel investors. Yeah, I, clearly, 15 years ago, that was way ahead of the curve compared to most organizations. And, and unfortunately, still, obviously, so much work to do when you look at the, the ratios of investment. Well, so now, okay... Now, and I'm thinking the stats are as of end of 2018 or 2019, maybe, end of 2018. But now, the, the class of women investors is 20 to 23%. And guess what? Angel investment in women-led companies is roughly 20 to 23%. But at the next level of VC investment, where you need your larger rounds, it's still 2 to 3%. And it only increases if there's a woman in the VC company, the, the venture capital company. It's, it's shocking, actually. It's very yeah. difficult. And women-led companies get less money. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard to point out any one individual is saying this is because of that, but the pattern is pretty unmistakable. Well, it's unconscious bias, right? Because you look at it and you say, you know, I know that I'm competent and, and I was able to execute. So if I look at somebody like me then, then and I invest in them, then clearly they'll, they'll do well. That's right. <laughs> and so obviously that's one of the big barriers that, that women and minorities face in trying to raise money and trying to you know, follow this entrepreneurial path. What do you think are some of the other big 
big issues that, that in particular women have as entrepreneurs? Um, I think that women tend to get a, a double standard, right? So if, if you're very clear and direct at what you need, even if you say the same things that a man might say, you're, you come across as too pushy or, you know, the B word. Yeah. Um, and, and I know this for a fact because I operated in a male-dominated field for a very long time, and I, and I did operations. And so um, when I went to a, a more executive role, I had to really kind of become a little bit more nuanced in my communications because it was expected of me as an executive but also as a woman. Mm. And so... Um, you couldn't be as direct or blunt as maybe your male colleagues. That's right. That's right, because you get judged on that too. The other thing is that women, um, women will tend to ask for less, less money. They will be more conservative sometimes with their projections. But the types of questions, and there are studies that have shown, I can send the follow-up studies, but I'm sure you've seen them, where the questions that are asked of women are more risk questions and the questions that are asked of men are upside questions. Hmm. So when a woman entrepreneur comes into the room, it's more about how are you going to protect against risk and, and how are you going to assure that you, know, you don't have this loss or this issue come up. When a man comes in, it's what's your upside potential? What do you think you know, your best case is going to be? What, what kind of return are you going to 10x, 20x, 100x, you know? And those questions are very clear. And there, there are specific studies I can send to you. And it, it's, it's it, the whole idea of risk with startups is an interesting one because you know that the vast majority of them aren't going to succeed. You know, it's, it's such a, exactly. a lottery and statistics kind of game. Exactly. So having now been in this for a couple of years, how, how has being on the investor angel side of the table affected your understanding of business and entrepreneurship? It's really fascinating because I find that, um, you know, the, the values that you apply when you're looking at these small startups uh, are the same, one you, same ones you should be using when you're looking at, at larger companies. So, you know, I have a standard stock portfolio in order to to be able to survive since I am retired. Right. <laughs> but now that I am used to asking the questions of these smaller companies, I'm also looking at these larger companies. I'm asking the same questions, you know, what do I think of the leadership? Are they are they good leaders? What are their values? What's their vision? What's their bottom line? What's their strategy? What's their market channel? <laughs> It's really applicable across the board when you're talking about business. And that's not something that, you know, I, I spent a lot of time doing when I was, in, when I was earning money in, in managing programs. It was a different story. I wasn't sitting around evaluating companies in my stock portfolio. Interesting. Well, and you certainly look at some of the big stalwarts companies that have been around for a century uh, and they're, they're, they're coasting on their history, but if you actually look into what they're doing and what's their strategy for dealing with the, the big trends that are out there, well, I mean, we're seeing a lot of companies kind of not surviving COVID right now because of that, I think. 
Right. Yeah, and and it's kind of telling. Uh, leadership is really important, right? It's le- it's it, it's important for small startups. It's also extremely important for large corporations because really the tone is set from the top down. I mean, I, I know that it takes all of the people and, and a lot of different levels and, and there's a board of directors and all that, but you have to set the tone of what you're going to do. And it's interesting to see how people in leadership positions respond to things like, uh, like COVID, like Black Lives Matter. These are very important issues in our society and having the courage to be able to address them and the, um, the insight and empathy to be able to do it right is yeah. important. Well, and especially in these big corporations, leadership is all you can do as the, the upper management because you're not gonna roll up your sleeves and, and impact the company by the sweat of your brow. It's all about how do you motivate and inspire and guide and set culture among those, those organizations. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's a different kind of work, right? It's, it's talent management, it's mentoring, it's, uh, but it's, you know, having been an executive in a large corporation, um, not in the C-suite, of course, but it's a lot of work. It really is. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I guess it's one of the reasons you see a challenge so many founders is they're really good at the thing they do in the small business, but it is such a different job as the organization uh, grows and expands. Yes. And actually got me talking about leadership and, and management. I've been thinking a lot about the teams that we invest in. You said, you know, it matters a lot. Who are they? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you think that startups do at talking about that? You know, you know, when you look at the deck. I think that uh, we oftentimes have to encourage them to, to do that, especially ones that are very early um, in raising. Uh, one of the things that I oftentimes mentor CEOs in order to help them um, understand the broader picture. And one of the things I tell them, you know, it's at least 50% looking at you and your team to determine whether or not you can execute. You might have the best idea in the world, but if you don't have follow through or the grit to stick with it when things get just hard and you're crawling over glass, you're not going to make it. Yeah. And, and it is going to get hard and you will crawl over glass. Right? That's not an optional part of this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I certainly remember that from my entrepreneurial days. So I'm curious, what, from your perspective, separates the companies that come to Golden Seeds and get an investment from the ones that don't? Well, I think it is, it is good leadership. It's, it's an execution team that is complete, or if, they, if they're not complete, they have, they're aware of their, what they don't know and have surrounded themselves with good advisors or, or board that will be able to fill in those gaps. They're coachable. They're also committed. They understand clearly what it is their, their vision is and what they're going to execute and deliver. And then a good idea, right? It's got to be a company that, that fills a real need. Um, 
doesn't have a huge amount of competition in the space that they're looking at. They're solving a problem in a different way. Uh, they've looked very carefully at their market and they have a, a entry strategy and they're focused on it. They're not uh, looking at, you know, a hundred different things and saying, well, you know, we're going to pursue all of them because of course you have limited resources and, and that's the thing. You have to prioritize. Um, they've got a good financial uh, idea and, and this you know, it comes back to that whole thing about women tend to be more conservative. A lot of times the, the advice I have to give them is, look, like when I was running programs, right, you do a best case, a worst case, and a most likely. That way you've bounded it. And you know what the levers are on, on your, your forecast. If things turn out differently, then you'll, you'll also know where you are within that channel, right? But at least, and, and we, you know, we as investors, we have a, a maxim that says, we know that your financial forecast is going to be wrong. We just want to see what your assumptions were going into it and how you thought about it and whether or not you considered all of your levers. That's really the key, right? So, uh, you know, the people that we invest in, they have, they, get, they have good financials. They've got a clear idea of how they're going to enter the market. They've got a good team. Um, uh, they've got a good exit strategy because the other part of it is, you know, we oftentimes, not oftentimes, but we see companies where I'll look at it and I'll go, you know what, your company is going to do well and I think that you're going to make money, but angel investors are not going to make money. So you might want to look at a different source of funding. Right. There's so many really good companies, startups, and entrepreneurs that just don't fit with the angel or VC investment model. It's, it's right. You're going to have to scale quite a bit for us to be able to get any amount of money back out. Right. And, you know, sort of like 20x is kind of my threshold. If you can't hit 20 times, you know, even after dilution, just the math doesn't work because of the time and the failure rate. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. uh it's a hard reality. And I will say one more thing that uh, Golden Seeds, you know, we, it has to be a woman-led company. So that means a woman in the C-suite with at least 10% equity. Um, but the other part of it is that hand-in-hand uh, hand with the, the, the mission that we have with Golden Seeds, if it's an impact company that actually is going to do something societally, they tend to also get more traction than a strictly commercial vision. I've seen exactly the same thing, that the companies that have a good business model, the good chance of making money, good chance of returning, but are also doing something positive in the world, far more likely to people invest yes. in it because, I don't know, it feels really good. I've, I've invested in, in some medical device startups and I know that's a big piece of why I invested there because I don't know anything about medical devices. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So expertise. I'm interested that one of the first things you said when you were talking about it was sort of uh, coachability and you know, knowing where your weaknesses are and, and humility. And I just recently sort of surveyed a bunch of angels to ask them what they look for. And I was amazed how often that came up. And it's an interesting balancing act between uh, having passion and vision and confidence and being flexible and coachable and humble. Right. Yeah, I think, in my estimation, you definitely have to have 
that belief in your idea and your company. And be, but also be open to advice. You don't have to take everybody's advice. But certainly, you're going to miss a lot if you're not open to sharing it. That's so true. Yeah, I, it always drives me crazy when I give someone advice and they try to argue with me. I'm like, no, just take it in. I won't be offended if you don't do it. But don't right. <laughs> Exactly. We're not in contest here. So is there something that you tell startups? Because you, uh, you coach a lot of them. Is there some piece or couple of pieces of advice or coaching that comes up over and over? I'm, I'm going to say no, because, you know, we see them at all stages, right? We do office hours as kind of a give back to the ecosystem. So we'll see people who come in that just have an idea. What should I do next? Or we'll see people who have very specific needs, like, you know, do you know a good IP lawyer? Or I'd like to present my deck. Can you give me feedback on it? And, um, and so that runs the gamut. Um, but the companies that come in and present, I would say we have seen some really, really well-polished companies where there's very little feedback that they need. The only, you know, it really gets down to negotiating terms. <laughs> right. And we've had companies that come in and, and you look at it and you say, you know, this founder really understands her market space and where she's going to go. And I think she's going to make money, but she doesn't present well. She doesn't have the polish and she needs to go through the deck with somebody that is, understands what investors want to hear. So that's most often maybe the thing that we do. And how important is that, the, the, the polish on the presentation versus content to you? I think it's kind of, I think it's pretty important in my estimation. And the reason why is um, you oftentimes don't have enough time to get to your point. If you don't do it succinctly and understand and do it from the point of view of the receiver rather than the, the giver, then you're not going to get across your message in the amount of time that you have. And that's a door shutting before you even have a chance to, to show your stuff. Yeah, absolutely. One last question. Are there any other organizations or resources that you think are really useful to entrepreneurs that you'd like to give a shout out to? Well, you know, I, I thought about this question and there's one and it's for female founders and it's called the Female Founders Alliance. And it was founded by a woman named Leslie Feinzig and, and it's, um, it started out in the Pacific Northwest. And it, it was based on her whole frustration as an entrepreneur that, you know, while mentoring is great and advice is great and, and um, practice is great, what we really need is money. So bring us your network and bring us your money. And, and you know, and the other thing is providing a network for female founders where they can get together and, uh, and talk about the issues that they're having and, uh, and help each other. So I, I think it's a really good organization. Wonderful. Well, I'll be happy to, to promote that. I'm always looking for new, new resources that, that the entrepreneurs that are watching Feel the Boot can learn about and hopefully help them move on to bigger and better things. Well, thanks so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure talking to you today. Well, thank you, Lance. This is fun and I'm, 
hope we make an impact. Thanks for listening to this episode of Feel the Boot. I hope you found it useful and interesting, and if so, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. I also encourage you to go check out our website at feeltheboot.com and our Feel the Boot YouTube channel with video versions of these podcasts. Finally, I would really appreciate it if you would share this information with other entrepreneurs. I'm trying to help as many people as possible. Till next time, ciao.